This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik, a progress company. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is L. Waters. Hi, L. Hi, Ed. How are you doing? Good. So today we're going to be talking about accessibility. And I've brought on one of my favorite accessibility experts, L. Waters, uh, to give you a little background about L and myself. I met L at a conference called Code Palooza, and I was watching uh, a very interesting and informative and yet entertaining uh, um, session on accessibility. And this brilliant speaker was giving a great session when her MacBook completely died. <laughs> and uh, when her MacBook died, she kept the best composure of a speaker <laughs> that was having the worst technical difficulties ever. And uh, I was literally impressed at that moment because that is not something that, that uh, fits my DNA. Um, I, I probably would have... Uh, thrown some technology out some windows <laughs> at that point. So with that, um, I'd like to reintroduce Elle Waters. Elle, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks. Oh my gosh, I had forgotten all about that that <laughs> really painful episode, but that's, um, that's really flattering. So um, I am currently the director of strategy at a company called Simply Accessible. What that means in day-to-day -day life is that I, we work with a lot of different organizations, a lot of different companies, different sizes, and I tend to work with um, companies that are large enterprise companies facing some impossible deadlines for accessibility and large challenges, and um, I really enjoy the challenge of that, and we work with designers, developers, and testers primarily, along with some management to be able to further the cause and help them understand how to be able to build um, accessible digital content. So so I wanted to do a show about accessibility. Uh, this topic's very important to me and uh, specifically. Um, and I wanted people to understand why it's important to me and others and understand what accessibility is. And then we can go about, you know, giving people some ideas on how to get started and, and get a better uh, grip on how to incorporate that into their development practices. So with that said, um, this is very important to me because my dad has uh, accessibility issues. Um, my dad is uh, quadriplegic, so he has very limited mobility from his neck down. So there's new technologies and things coming around to help him uh, get on the internet, but there's a lot more people out there that have a wide range of disabilities uh, that use not only the internet, but software in general. And it's important for us developers to understand that those people are out there and that they're being impacted by the software that we write. So, L, what, what types of uh, accessibility issues are out there that we should be aware of and what kind of people are dealing with the software that we write? Uh, that's a great question. So I think that one thing to keep in mind is that accessibility is not a binary thing. And if you have somebody in your life or you yourself have experienced uh, different challenges, it becomes really apparent um, 
oftentimes people will talk about specific categories of individuals and user groups, and they'll think about it that way. But the truth is it's a really big spectrum of abilities, and it could be something that you're temporarily uh, unable to do something, or it could be that you grow older and as you age into something like um, failing eyesight, that that starts to become a need or a consideration, or you could have you know, a traumatic incident. But the truth is that it's really so many different individuals that it's, a, like I said, a large spectrum. With that said, um, that's difficult for people to kind of grab hold of. So the World Health Organization estimates that it's about a billion people. Um, Google put out a really good website, and we'll definitely share that link, I think, with this, that uh, one in, you know, it's almost 20 people, 20% uh, of the world's population, basically, that we're looking at has some form of um, impairment or challenge with accessing or interacting with digital content. We usually look and think about people who might have vision loss, people who use um, assistive technologies like uh, screen readers, where it takes the text on a website web page and will read it aloud. There's also people who use screen magnifiers. Um, the other category um, that we often talk about might be people with different mobility challenges. Um, like you said, there's people who have limited mobility and different parts of their limbs. Sometimes they'll use um, technology, they'll use things that sort of emulate a keyboard. And so they might use like a sip puff device or a virtual keyboard. And there's amazing things happening with technology that are making that um, a really creative area to explore about how to be able to provide more access for people and how to be able to um, allow them to have more independence. I think uh, then there's also people who have um, different levels of hearing loss. So people who are completely deaf or people who have different kinds of limited hearing. And then finally, most of the time, what we, we are kind of almost sometimes overlook, uh, I think, in the web community is that there's a huge gradient of people who have cognitive challenges. So autism is definitely something that you hear more and more about on the news. Well, there's definitely some impacts when it comes to your content strategy, your site map, how you, how you create the interactions on the web that are either consistent or predictable or not for people with different cognitive challenges. Um, dementia is another one that's really taking hold of sort of the public consciousness because recognizing that there's an increase uh, as people get older and technology gets better, we're actually encountering more and more um, disabilities related to age. Yeah, I think it's really important to identify what you said about the technology getting better. Uh, as we see IoT and other, you know, technologies that uh, like natural language interfaces and things like that coming coming into the mainstream, almost anybody uh, can get on the internet, and those type of things are, are really changing lives to these people. And to have our our software to where everyone can access it is extremely important, uh, not just from a feel-good perspective, but I'm sure there's many other reasons uh, that you have examples of that you could give. Yeah, there's. Um, it is a really exciting time. Um, it's such an amazing area of innovation. 
And like I said, because technology is getting better, medical technology is getting better. So people are finding that where something might be completely, you know, an end of life scenario for someone these days in the 21st century, they're finding ways to be able to, to live with different kinds of severe disabilities. And in keeping with that as well, there's some amazing technologies happening uh, every day being, being invented that allow people, like you said, more abilities to be to live independent lives and technology is so integrated in everything that we do in our life that it is something that's a, a fundamental piece of what it means usually to be you know having a bank account or um, shopping and that kind of stuff all those things tend to interact with digital content um, i think that it's it's really interesting to see how people interact with, with all of these different things and the challenges that they face because by and large, more often than not, what people encounter as difficulties are the same problems that they've had before all of these technologies and inventions came into play. So the, the challenges that people have with accessibility are actually much more solvable and not really directly related to some of these um, newer technologies, for example. We see, at least within our line of work, that it's the same kinds of challenges that we've seen all along, which mostly goes back to building good code, following web standards. Um, keyboard accessibility is a great example. That's not really that much different just because of mobile applications, right? Or, um, Internet of Things, it's really the same kinds of, of needs that people have. So their needs haven't changed, even though technology is different and the recommendations are pretty straightforward, very much the same kinds of recommendations that we give. So what should developers specifically be aware of? What are some key points that they can look at? Um, well, I think that this is going to sound like, like I'm uh, scolding when I say this, but it is true <laughs> that more often than not, probably 60%, if I, had to, if I had to put a statistic on it, 60% of the time when we are looking at something, let's say um, some front-end web code, looking at a web page for accessibility, um, two-thirds of the time it'll be something that was actually not specifically related to accessibility that's a problem and much more about like I said web standards so if you create a div and it looks like a button and you want it to act like a button make it a button not a div right because the truth is all these different assistive technologies they have to go and and to interact successfully with stuff they have to use a ruler a standard and so the W3C has pretty much told everyone how to create valid HTML, right? And so when you get really creative and you put sort of like a faux element out there and for the purposes of like a design visually, it looks like a particular, like it looks like a radio button. I really thought it was a radio button. And so a screen reader will read that and it won't know how to interpret that. So I think one of the first things we tell developers is, you know, you know the right thing to do, you know how to use these elements and do your best with that. And that actually solves a lot of problems. So developers, write semantic HTML, please. 
Yes. It matters. Do not, do not div all the things. <laughs> Don't div all the things. And, um, you know, progressive enhancement is not old fashioned. It's actually still the best way to, to build a web page. So um, just because there's the new hotness, which we all agree is the new hotness out there for like a JavaScript library, does not mean that it replaces the need for HTML or that it actually is maybe more significant than the CSS that you put there. But layer things according to what they were meant to be done, you know, the, the purpose they were meant to serve. Yeah, I don't know how many horror stories I have of opening up a web document and finding uh, just straight divs through a whole thing or yeah. uh, headlines that were made out of bold tags inside of more <laughs> bold tags inside of other inline styles that mimic uh, an H1, H2 scenario. I mean, there's countless times that I've encountered these things and a, a lot of those are in CMSs and, you know, it's it just yeah. it can be really horrendous. So I know you guys are out there. Somebody's writing this stuff. I've, I've seen it in the <laughs> wild. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say they're they're probably not the folks that are out there listening to podcasts or reading articles or visiting conferences. Yeah, not your there, there may be few and far between in that, those crowds. So if you're listening to this, scold those people that aren't listening yeah. <laughs> and aren't reading and aren't uh, getting in touch with the community and don't know the web best practices for uh, HTML markup. Uh, and there's ways the to yeah, and there's ways to approach things. It's not I'm, we're not dismissing the need and importance to be really creative. There's absolutely a need to be creative because you get challenges um, all the time, and how to be able to build something in a way that meets whatever the design spec is, for example. But the real challenge, going from good to great as a developer, is being able to maintain the same level of standards that you would expect. Um, you know, when you were first learning how to be able to code, maintain those same standards and then find the way to be able to do that. And of course, the second thing that I would always tell developers is test your code, not you and not necessarily running a test suite, but with a real live actual user. So we're big believers in, um, well, we're big believers in Agile for w one of the main reasons is because the real proof of something of success is what that user feedback tells you. So test your code with real people. And if you're looking to make something accessible, make sure that you do some usability testing with people with disabilities. There's ways to be able to accomplish that and you know pull that feedback in and you'll know whether or not something is really actually fully accessible. Yeah, I, think, I think it may have actually been you that said um, accessibility will separate the good designers from the great designers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes good designers great and bad designers obvious. Right. And that's, yes, yeah. That, and it's, that's... and it's a challenge. Uh, nobody said it was going to be easy, but it is something that is, uh, some parts of it are really well known. Like I said, developers who would be listening to this podcast, the things that, that you guys know that you've always known, you will always know that an H2 is actually a heading. So use it, embrace it, love it. Semantic code is there to help you build things correctly and honestly makes a much better web page. You, ha you don't have to 
do nearly as much testing and tweaking and jacking up your code to be able to fit different browsers and different devices and different resolutions. Um, one of the best things that ever happened for us in the web accessibility world was ushering in a responsive and mobile web because you can't really hide, right? I mean, bad code becomes pretty obvious when, when it's thrown into some weird mobile device that nobody ever knew to predict to build for. So... Yeah, and and developers don't don't throw your hands up in the air and say not it when I say designers, <laughs> uh, because front end developers, I'm talking to you, and uh, most developers are designers uh, in some capacity. Uh, even if you're a back end developer, you're designing APIs. So so don't yep. play the not it. I'm not a designer card. Uh, if people are interacting with the thing you're building. Um, you are designing something. So. Yeah, and even if you're a back-end developer, there's there's a progressive enhancement beauty to what you do as well. So, you know, API should have data. Don't put CSS and markup and stuff and push that from, from some back-end piece, you know? Like, leave the layers where they live, where they where they belong, so... So what, what can we do to kind of relax the developer's fears about <laughs> uh, accessibility then? Um, so I think one of the one of the biggest most intimidating things that developers often face is when they really start thinking about uh, all the different types of disabilities there might be, all the types of user scenarios there might be, um, these really complicated, scary, different, sometimes expensive assistive technologies. Um, it can be very intimidating to know where to start. It can be really intimidating to know um, to feel like you have any confidence to actually accomplish this and do well at this and succeed in this. And so a couple of things that we usually talk to developers besides just that they already know certain things like building to the specification is really the first step in knowing how to be able to build good code is one of the foundational pieces for accessibility. But another thing that we often talk to developers about is they actually have the most important piece of assistive technology already with them. And it's not their brains, although that's a, it's a great pithy way to end that sentence. It's really a keyboard. So unplug your mouse and see if you can actually complete a task, if you can go through a particular shopping cart experience and a modal dialogue pops up. Can you actually get out of that modal if you choose not to do whatever it asks you to do? Use a keyboard and you will catch so many issues and keyboard accessibility is the most fundamental kind of accessibility that we would ever um, recommend. And it hits and, and really positively impacts the largest group of users that would be using that product. And then we so talked to I'm, them about, go ahead. I'm going to take a moment to remind folks too, uh, Telerik uh, has multiple products, Kendo UI, ASP.NET MVC, and ASP.NET Web Forms, uh, our AJAX products, all are 508 compliant. So if you're worried about your development process and you want something that you know is going to work with the keyboard and some of the things that Elle's talking about, uh, all of those control suites, we, we do have full accessibility support on those products. Yeah, and rigorously testing something with a keyboard is something that anybody can do. It's not, there's no training that you need to know, can I use this with a keyboard? And so that's a, it's a great tool that we recommend for developers when, when they're 
just starting out and it's definitely the most impactful, like I said, for, for end users. We like to call um, keyboard images and forms the accessibility MVP. We often say that because um, it will really, you know, how when you look at something, you want to make sure that you're bringing the most value for whatever product you're building for your end users. That has the most value for people with disabilities. If you approach keyboard images and forms in that, in that respect, you've really covered a huge amount, especially with forms, because that can get pretty complicated. But I would say that that's usually where we start with developers. And it's something that, that is achievable. It's something that they can um, see real success with. They can see huge benefits from. And then to just go from there. And it's one of the things that it's really something that, that may take a while to get to a point where you feel like everything I do is fully accessible. But it's at least a starting point for you as a developer to know this is a really huge benefit to people. And so... Usually we lay fears that way, and then always there's tons of great resources online. There's, um, there's a really good website called the a11yproject.com, specifically tailored to developers, and it'll have um, different kinds of you know, code resources and some descriptions about why a particular widget works the way it does. It has some questions and answers about... Um, for example, when to use title attributes, and the answer is almost never, <laughs> and uh, different things like that. That it, that's really helpful for developers. And then on our website at simplyaccessible.com, we have a sort of a basic series that we're going through um, this year. We're really excited about it because it's it's kind of starting from sort of the ground level, and we're approaching it from the things that we get asked questions about most. We're trying to kind of go through those one by one and make sure that we provide that feedback. Oh, and I almost forgot to mention too, so if you hang out on social media and you love the Twitter, um, one of the things too that's also helpful is you can start searching for the hashtag A11Y, and it's Basically, accessibility has, you know, 11 letters between A and Y, the way that they do with internationalization, right, which is like I18N, I think. So A11Y is the hashtag that a lot of people will, a lot of industry experts, a lot of disability advocates, um, a lot of developers and designers will, will basically have really great conversations, and you can definitely find a lot of help if you have questions. It's one surefire way to be able to get some answers. So we talked about best practices and we have some great resources. Uh, do you have any other getting started information that, that people should look at? Uh, I think it depends on where your particular um, technology stack and what you're working on is. There's a lot of great advice. For example, jQuery is a good library. There's um, Telerik. There's a lot of these other places where you'll see not only here's the library of different elements or scripts um, that we provide, but here's things that are important to consider about accessibility. So I think one of the things I might recommend to developers is to go to the particular technology that you're using, that you're employing, and see First, if they have particular solutions that they've created for certain reasons, um, there's great, like I said, there's great stuff on Twitter. There's really good stuff on, um, of course, you know, Simply Accessible's website. And there's
there's a lot of good conferences. I think my favorite conference is in Austin uh, every year. It's called Access U, and it's a two-day conference with a one-day workshop, and it's about maybe 300 people, and it's totally devoted to accessibility, and it has different tracks, and it's got a really robust developer track, and a lot of different industry experts go there and teach very hands-on exercises. And then, you know, of course, it's in Austin, so that's awesome. <laughs> you get fantastic barbecue. And, uh, and that's May every, every year. And so I would definitely recommend that. It's a great conference. Now, Elle, do you have any um, advice for people that would like to have some help with testing? Mm -hmm. Is there a, a, like a proper way to approach somebody that um, they'd like to uh, have maybe test something for them that has certain accessibility needs? Do you sure. have any advice for that scenario? So um, there's multiple types of testing, right? So um, oftentimes when you think about testing, just in a day-to-day -day world, you want to think about Automated testing, which has some benefits, but really only covers about a, a quarter of accessibility issues. But there's huge benefits to sort of at an enterprise level to consider where automated testing fits in. Um, definitely the way that you might do with like Jenkins or Selenium, you want to be thinking about those easy to catch things that you would have in say continuously, um, you know, integrated kinds of code bases. And then from a manual testing perspective, you definitely want to, you know, approach that from a perspective of um, training up your QA staff to think in terms of that sort of MVP model so that they feel comfortable testing keyboard images and forms and then going from there. But I think what you're talking about is probably closer to the other thing, which is usability testing with people with disabilities, where you'd have a real world scenario. And the thing that is a little bit challenging is um, with most usability testing, what you don't want to do is really frustrate somebody, an end user. And so I would recommend that before you start thinking about maybe testing with people with disabilities, that you make sure some of those basics are covered first. So just as an example, you probably wouldn't want to go to somebody that you know uses a screen reader and ask them to test your web page you've built if you yourself haven't tested first to make sure that the keyboard accessibility is really intact. Because otherwise, the whole page is pretty much locked out for them, right? So you and don't so, want to hand them a hot mess. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, the shortcut of that is, you know, do a, do a little bit of the basics first and make sure you feel pretty comfortable with where that's at and then definitely incorporate people's feedback, but just make it worth their time in order to be able to give you some of those other things. Like one of the benefits of testing with someone with a screen reader is that they may tell you it may be keyboard accessible, but maybe but the way you've coded a particular tooltip, it's not something that voice is allowed with their screen reader. And so that's something that is really valuable information to get but it's, you know, at that particular stage where you want to be able to get that detailed feedback. Um, there's a couple of other, there's a couple of um, services and people who do usability testing with people with disabilities. Um, we tend to work with, when we're working with clients, we work with their customers. So I would say one of the things that you want to do is maybe reach out to the people who do, dis who do usability testing at your organization and ask them whether or not they have a way to be able to pull in uh, different participants who might have different disabilities. Um, it's something that 
it can be challenging because it's not like everybody's, you know, organized or that they have like a, a, a marker saying, I happen to have this particular disability, right? They're human beings mm-hmm. and they're going about their business. A great thing to do, um, there's a really unusual high volume of developers who are colorblind. It's surprising. It's There's usually one in every eight or nine men is colorblind, but that number is actually increased when you start looking at web developers. So I'm going to say that my guess is that as a developer, you might know someone who is colorblind, who's actually your coworker. And that's a great opportunity because um, then you can just, you know, talk to them and ask them to take a look and see how does this look? Is there enough contrast between these two two different colors? So those are some first recommendations I I would have. And I think that um, definitely somebody should just contact, contact me and I can give them some links and some other areas about where they where they might want to go given the kind of work that they're doing because that makes a difference. So if you have any feedback for the show uh, regarding accessibility, please stop by developer.telerc.com and leave a comment in our uh, forums there. Or you can also go to SoundCloud and there's a way to comment in SoundCloud as well. Uh, SoundCloud will actually let you uh, leave comments on the actual point in the track, which is pretty handy. That's and cool. we'll, we'll try to answer some of those questions. Um, and you can also find L on Twitter and at Simply Accessible, and we will post links on our show notes so you can get in touch with us and L and um, find some of the resources that we talked about today and get started with uh, your learning journey on accessibility. So L, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, it's always great to talk to you, and you always have lots and lots of interesting information. Well, thank you so much, Ed, for having me. Um, I love the opportunity uh, to be able to talk about it, to share with people. We have um, as a mission to make it less frightening for, for people to jump into accessibility and include it in what they do each day. Thank you very much, Elle. Thanks. Thanks.